Welcome to the Crossview Church Message of the Week. We hope you enjoy the message this morning. For more information, visit us at mycrossview.com. Welcome this morning to Church Online as we enter one of the most significant weeks in the life of the church. This morning, we start what is known as Holy Week. It's a particular focus on the last week of Jesus' life as we remember his death on the cross and we celebrate his resurrection at the end of the week. I love this week. I hope you do too. Here's our goal for today. Simply to fall more in love with Jesus for what he did for you and me. Today, on Palm Sunday, we're going to hear some of this story and be reminded of the depth of what Jesus did. You know, often my messages are centered around a biblical passage and are designed to help us think about a question or two that can help uh, take us deeper uh, in our thoughts and reflections throughout the week. They're also designed to invite us to a deepening or deeper relationship with Jesus. Or maybe if you're exploring faith, to give your heart to Jesus for the very first time. But today, I want to simply dive into the story and help us understand on a deeper level Jesus' actions. Hopefully helping us fall more in love with our God and our King. Like I said, today is Palm Sunday, the day that we remember the part of the story where Jesus rides into Jerusalem. It's the beginning of his journey to the cross. But did you know that either on that same day or shortly uh, before, there was another procession into the city of Jerusalem, that of a man named Pontius Pilate. Remember that guy? He was the Roman governor of the area at the time, uh, which included the city of Jerusalem. And he's the guy with the authority and is the one who puts Jesus on trial later in the week. So what we're going to do today is we're going to compare these two processions. The one of Pilate, the Roman governor, and then the one of Jesus, the king of kings. Both made their way into the city and both processions looked very, very different. So first, let's look at Pilate's entrance. As the reigning Roman governor, there would have been a lot of pomp and circumstance as he made his way into the capital city. He would have been uh, draped in in the gaudy glory of imperial power with horses and chariots and soldiers ready for battle. There would have been heralds announcing Pilate's arrival. And because Pilate represented the emperor, there may have been language used. There was likely language used of the king of kings and the lord of lords. Isn't that fascinating? One of the reasons they likely would have made such a show of Pilate's entrance on this, in this particular time, including uh, the moving in with Roman soldiers, is because the beginning, this was the beginning of the Passover week. They wanted to make sure that nothing got out of hand. You see, they were afraid uh, that insurrection was in the air. Two things were happening that made Pilate and the Romans really anxious. First, large crowds. One of the major problems that the authorities of the day, especially the Romans, had with Jesus in particular, is that there were often large crowds that followed him. We read all the time in the Gospels that wherever Jesus went, there were usually usually growing crowds of people. He had the 12 apostles, we know that. He had a larger group of disciples that that followed him. And then he had the locals from wherever he was preaching. 
Rome saw this as a threat because large crowds of people meant a, a potential insurrection. Crowds uh, certainly meant division. Crowds meant uh, a potential large-scale violence against Roman soldiers and or the Roman way of life. So Jesus, all on his own, usually had large crowds around him. But in Jerusalem, it was the Passover, a festival day, a big celebration with lots and lots of people. So that brings us to the second reason why Pilate and the Romans were likely worried, uh, and that is that it was the celebration of the Passover. The Passover was a Jewish festival day, and Jewish festivals were either public or private events that happened over a period of day or days or weeks commemorating something significant, some significant event in their history that they were trying to celebrate and remember. The Passover festival was an annual event which uh, celebrated, and this is key, it celebrated God's deliverance of the Hebrew people from slavery and oppression from the large government of Egypt. Passover was arguably the most volatile and political in the minds of the Romans because the Passover feast celebrated a sh as a short, it was celebrated as a shorthand for the entire Exodus experience, the leaving of Egypt, the parting of the Red Sea, God's covenant with Israel at Mount Sinai, the giving of the commandments, the wandering in the wilderness, and the eventual movement into the promised land. It represented God's triumph and his leading of his people, his triumph over the greatest superpower of its day, Egypt, back then. Certainly this resonated in the minds of the Jewish people in the celebration of Passover and frightened the Romans. So this festival, at least as far as the Romans understood, uh, it had major political implications. And they were afraid of it. They were afraid that it was going to be to lead toward revel another revolution, but this time against Rome. So Pontius Pilate and his legions uh, leave the comfortable, comfortable confines of his palace uh, and, and parade draped in the gaudy glory of imperial power with horses and chariots and, and soldiers and gleaming armor right down the middle of Jerusalem so that they can put that glory on display and, and hopefully nothing happens. But the, this year's Passover festival had a special guest. Jesus the Christ, this carpenter turned rabbi, adding all of his own followers to the already swelling crowds that are already in the city of Jerusalem. In Matthew 21, 1 through 3 and 6 through 11, we read this. As Jesus and the disciples approached Jerusalem, they came to the town of Bethpage on the Mount of Olives. Jesus sent two of them ahead. Go into the village over there, he said. As soon as you enter it, you will see a donkey tied there with its colt beside it. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone asks, what are you doing? Just say, the Lord needs them, and he will immediately let you take them. The two disciples did as Jesus commanded. They brought the donkey and the colt to him and threw their garments over the colt as he sat on it. Most of the crowd spread their garments on the road ahead of him and others cut branches from trees and spread them on the road. Jesus was in the center of the procession, and the people all around were shouting, Praise God for the Son of David. Blessings on the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Praise God in the highest heaven. The entire city of Jerusalem was in an uproar as he entered. Who is this? they asked. And the crowds replied, It's Jesus, 
the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. Wow, what an incredible scene. This is pretty incredible. And it's, it can be confusing a little bit about what's happening as well. The people in Jerusalem have certainly heard of Jesus. They have heard of his miracles and they have heard of his teaching. They begin to ask and to wonder. They ask this question, is this the one whom God has sent to save us? Is Jesus the Messiah? And you, you'll see all throughout the Bible, and especially in Israel's story, we find uh, this overall theme of oppression and freedom all over the place. The Hebrew people were oppressed by the Egyptians, but God delivers freedom. The current Jewish people in this context are oppressed by the religious law and the Romans, but God offers a savior. We are oppressed by our sin, but through Jesus, God offers us forgiveness and eternal freedom. It's incredible. So the people, especially in this festival that celebrated God's deliverance and knowing about who Jesus is, in this moment, they begin to believe that Jesus was their savior. And he is. That's the amazing part, but not quite like they expected. You see, while Pilate entered with grandeur and pomp and circumstance, Jesus, the real king and savior, entered the city on a borrowed donkey in plain traveling clothes with his eyes on a very different type of inauguration. And what I really love about this passage and this story is that there are subtle hints that point to who Jesus is, even if we can't see it. You see, there are several kingly signs to what Jesus is doing. Let's take a look at a few of those. First, Jesus comes from Bethpage and Bethany to the Mount of Olives. Now, these are two towns just east of Jerusalem near a hill called the Mount of Olives. Uh, and these uh, are holy places where, where the Messiah is expected to come from. So the gospel author is setting the messianic tone right away by mentioning that Jesus is coming from these holy places. The second thing, Jesus sends his disciples ahead of him, telling them that they are to, they're going to find a donkey which has never been ridden. And he tells them to, to take those. And he said, if anybody should ask on what authority the, the disciples are supposed to be taking the donkey, they're to say that the Lord has need of it. And this is exactly what happens. So for today's reader, this may seem kind of fairly harmless, maybe a bit odd, but harmless. But for Jesus's Jewish contemporaries, this would not have been harmless or normal. Thing, themes of kingliness all, are all over what Jesus is doing here. You see, Jesus claims the right of kings to commandeer any mode of transport, and especially one that no one had ridden on yet. Uh, and, and, but yet, I mean, what he asks for is a donkey, right? Uh, that, this is not the normal manner in which kings arrived to places. They normally came in as conquerors riding on battle horses, right? And, and yet a donkey is what Jesus asked for. And we'll see why that's important and why that's significant in just a moment. The third thing, the third sign of kingliness is what about his clothes that he is wearing? Most likely, Jesus is wearing plain, simple traveling clothes, uh, certainly not fancy or kingly robes, but it says that his disciples threw a coat or a cloak over the donkey for Jesus to sit on. And what we might not recognize at first is that the laying of garments uh, is unique to Israelite kingship, especially in the line of David. Look at 2 Kings 9, 6, and 13. 
This is what the Lord, the God of Israel says, I anoint you king over the Lord's people, Israel. They quickly took their cloaks and spread them under him on the bare steps. Then they blew the trumpet and shouted, Jehu is king. What the disciples are doing is a gesture of enthronement in the tradition of the most famous king in their history, David. And it points to their hope that Jesus is the savior and king like David. What's what's happening is incredible to watch all of these significant details. They're all doing these kingly things because Jesus is the king. But as we keep seeing, Jesus comes to establish a kingdom that is very different from what the people are expecting. And I'm sure that Jesus has in mind passages, passages from the Old Testament like Zechariah 9, verse 9, where it says, Rejoice greatly, daughter of Zion. Shout, daughter Jerusalem. See your king comes to you, righteous, victorious lowly and riding on a donkey, a colt, the foal of a donkey. And there it is, another sign. Jesus rides in as a king, not wielding any weapons of war. He's ushering in a new kingdom, one of eternal and lasting peace, a kingdom where we are all invited through faith and we're all changed and renewed and connected with the heart of God. Jesus is making a royal claim and is making a royal entrance, but the depth goes beyond what can be seen at first. So the people, they wanted a conquering military hero or a new political power. And yet here is their Messiah riding on a donkey, wearing traveling clothes and offering an invitation to a kingdom characterized by love. And they cheered him on anyway. The crowd didn't fully understand the significance of this event, but they seemed to be acknowledging that Jesus was the one promised who had come to save. It's just not the kind of salvation that they wanted, right? Jesus was certainly a revolutionary leader, but the revolution was one of the heart, not of swords or shields or chariots or armor. So the people threw palm branches, a symbol of victory and triumph. Again, we read, Most of the crowd spread their garments on the road ahead of him, and others cut branches from trees and spread them on the road. Jesus was in the center of the procession, and the people all around him were shouting, Praise God for the Son of David. Blessings on the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Praise God in the highest heaven. Now, I love the tension of this moment because their actions and their words bestowed honor on Jesus as their king. The people begin to shout these lines, Hosanna, and they're actually from Psalm 118, and it says this, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the kingdom of our father David that is coming, Hosanna in the highest. We recognize that from Matthew. That's what the people are saying. And it's an important statement from the crowd. It's a statement which is recorded in all four Gospels. This, this use of the word Hosanna, the, this exclamation is a word of urgent appeal. And it means come to our aid, come to save us. So the crowds are shouting in that moment for Jesus to save them. Another kingly accolade. But their tone would ch- tragically change by the end of the week. The people were expecting salvation, but what kind of salvation? It ended up that the crowds got it wrong. 
And we know this because by the end of the week, the same people who were shouting Hosanna were likely the ones shouting crucify him. And again, uh, later in the week, Jesus here is publicly presented as their king. And later in the week, he would be publicly presented, but this time as a criminal with a mocking sign that hung above his head reading, King of the Jews, as he was being crucified. The procession of Jesus into Jerusalem was different than that of Pilate. With all of his worldly power and wealth, Jesus chose to embody the image of the humble king, the meek Messiah, riding in on this small symbol, on a donkey, the small symbol of peace and humility. Jesus moves into Jerusalem with obedience and humility, claiming the promise of scripture and the prophets, eyeing the cross the whole way. Jesus rides into the city as the king of the kingdom of God, ready to save us, ready to reconnect God and humanity, taking the weight of our sin and putting it to death so that we can have brand new life. So just as the crowds shouted, Hosanna, save us. Today, we too get to sing, Hosanna, save us to the only king who can actually save us. Our eyes are open to who Jesus is and what he's done. Who is this king, they asked, riding into town on a donkey. He's not dressed in a kingly garb or golden armor. He's dressed in plain traveling clothes, riding on this donkey, and he's coming to rescue us all from our sins, coming to offer a kingdom of love and forgiveness, to start a new chapter in the story of humanity uh, on, on one that, is, that reconnects the heart of you and me with God. It's amazing how the revolution of love can change the human heart and make a real difference in the lives of people. And it all starts with Jesus powerfully riding into town. This message is for you today. I hope you can be reminded of Jesus and what he is and what he's done and fall more deeply in love with him as we think about this and what's happening throughout the rest of the week. This message is for you today, for those of you who might be trying to figure out who Jesus is. This story helps us understand the one who came to earth to set us free. I want to just encourage you at the beginning of this very, very important week to just give your heart in faith to Jesus. For he's riding into town to sacrifice himself for your sin so that you can be reconnected with the heart of Jesus to experience forgiveness and love and purpose and life and transformation to start a new chapter uh, in your story this very day. Don't wait, don't hesitate. Give your heart to the only one who can save us and make everything new again. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just thank you so much at the beginning of this week to pause and reflect on this story, to learn more about what's happening in the story and who you are. Words fail us sometimes. After I read these stories and we make our way through this week, as we make our way toward Friday, which is Good Friday, when we recognize your death, and then next Sunday when we gather together to celebrate your resurrection and what that means for all of us, words fail us. Thank you just doesn't seem enough. So God, may, may we ponder in our heart, may we think and reflect all week long on what you're doing as you ride into the city keeping your eyes on what's ahead, knowing what's coming, all for 
uh, inaugurating and ushering us into this brand new kingdom, the kingdom of God, ruled and reigned by Jesus Christ. We love you. We glorify you. We say, Hosanna. Hosanna. Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. We give you praise today, and in your name we pray. Amen. Let's continue to worship together.